everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Infinite Worlds podcast. I'm your host, Winston Ward, publisher of Infinite Worlds magazine. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Nick the Tooth. Hey, hey, how's it going, brother? Oh, dude, what's going on, man? What are you up to? Oh, nothing, man. Uh, just another another week in the life. Uh, just uh, trucking along, man. How are you doing? Dude, I saw that you went on uh, some insane like hiking adventure in Colorado. Oh, what yeah. was that? Where'd you go? You're probably talking about the pictures from um, Rocky Mountain National Park. Yes. I live like an hour and a half from there. So I, we go there pretty often. We have an annual National Parks Pass. So we try to hit up the national parks as much as possible. But this last time we went, we actually went because one of the lakes, like one of the alpine lakes there, had um, this like eerie greenish, bluish glow, like milky glow that was caused by something called mountain flower, like F-L-O-U-R. What it actually is is calcium deposits that are exposed by rock slides. And then when it rains, it washes the calcium into the lake and the lake turns this like milky color because of that. But we went for that reason to check out this lake. But when we got there, the whole place was like foggy. It was like this weird, almost supernatural, like fantasy world sort of experience while we were hiking. And we, we hiked to five different alpine lakes like eight mile hike, something like that. And that's like our third weekend in a row where we were doing some crazy outdoor adventure, but it was, it was pretty awesome. It looked like so surreal. It was like, it looked like something out of a movie. It really did. It felt like, it felt like being in a movie the whole time we were there and you couldn't see 20 feet out into the trees. I mean, you'd see the trees like they're right in front of you, but that was it. We were at this uh, Alpine Lake and it's like, this lake might've been maybe a hundred feet across, possibly, maybe and you couldn't see the other side at all. It was just plain, straight up white on the other side. Oh my gosh. It was a really cool adventure for sure, but we had planned to go visit this scenic drive and then we parked at a parking lot and then realized that like we were at the base of a, what they, they have here, mountains that are above 14,000 feet. The summit's above 14,000 feet. They call them 14ers. You know, I like climbing on all the high hills, you know what I mean? And then we weren't really prepared, but my wife and I just ended up parking there. We're like, ah, to hell with it. Let's climb this thing. So we ended up climbing uh, Mount Evans last weekend, and then we did this this weekend. So we're really getting our nature in this year. Oh, that's so cool. It is so cool. Well, I was thinking of you because last week I was in um, Paris. Yeah, I saw. It, dude, it was what was crazy about it was it reminded me of The Fifth Element, the movie. And oh, really? <laughs> because the architecture was so modern, like right. there, the architecture inside of the city, like you had so many cities in Europe have this like ancient architecture, which I love. I'm a, I'm a fiend for architecture. But, um, but in Paris, they had so much modern architecture and every building was like different. It was like, it was so curated. And for some reason, it just reminded me of the fifth element where it was like everywhere I turn, it was like, it, it seems so sci-fi, the, 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 the modern architecture. So it was, uh, it was really, really cool. And Luke Besson, what's his name? Director Luke Besson? Luke Besson. Besson, yeah. And I mean, he's French, so that's probably why it was yeah. already stuck in my head, you know? For sure. Did you catch a flying cab while you were there? <laughs> that would have been so sick. No, but I tell you what, the the public transportation was the best bar none I've ever been on in my life. It was very simple. Was that your first time going to Paris? Yeah, my first time ever. It was really Wow, I've, really I've never cool. been, so you know, it's, it's still one more visits than I've got. So 
I saw you went to UFC, what was it, 279? That was why I went. It was the first ever UFC card in France. And so I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to go to that. It was really cool. So starting this next like week, I'm about to kick off like a massive European tour. I'm going to go to Sardinia. Um, and then I'm going to go, which is an island off of Sicily. Then I'm going to go to... Uh, Calabria, which is in South uh, Italy. Then I'm going to go to Rome. Then I'm going to go to Madrid. Then I'm going to go, I think, to Bilboa, which is in Spain also. And then I'm going to go to Lisbon. And then I'm going to go to London. And then I'm going to go to Miami. I'm going to go back to the States for the first time in, you know, almost a year. Where in the States? I'm going to go to Miami. I have a friend. She's getting uh, married in Los Angeles. So I might even head out to... uh, to LA. I haven't been to California in a long time. So, but that's, I don't know if I'm going to go to California yeah. or not, but that's what it looks like. So it's, uh, I'm going to go teach the world how to choke people unconscious. <laughs> I'm going to, I just want to see as much of Europe as I can. You know, I have a, uh, I have a friend who is just came over from California, one of my close friends and he's visiting Europe now. So he came and stayed with me. And now he's in, uh, I think he's in Poland now. First time ever in Europe. And uh, he just was in Zurich. And um, they were taking, he sent me pictures, um, he and his wife, and they went on the Matterhorn, they went up to the Matterhorn and they were taking a train and, mm. and there was a rock slide, a landslide, and the, all the rocks hit the car, the train and almost toppled it. <laughs> yeah, just oh, like man, <laughs> visiting visiting the Matterhorn is like on my to do list. Visiting oh. visiting Switzerland in general, but the Matterhorn is like a top destination for me. Man. Winston, he said uh, he said Zurich was the cleanest, nicest, most beautiful cities ever seen in his life. And um, well, maybe it, I'll make it out there one of these days. Maybe. Well, you know, <laughs> I I think what's really interesting. You know, because we're always going to not bring up politics, but we do. But what I think is very, like, what we really reflect on, like, when I was talking to him is that, you know, these are all, like, major socialist countries. And, you know, he's like, Switzerland is, you know, you've got the highest, like, standard of, of happiness. One of them, you know, these Scandinavian countries. And they're highly, mm-hmm. highly socialized. And they're gorgeous they're just beautiful you know and so it's funny how i think travel for me has been so good to like knock me out of the mindset that and made me aware of how brainwashed we are in america and maybe all countries are maybe maybe we're all brainwashed by nationalism it's not not just america but it is yeah yeah. but that's our your my perspective because that's where we were born you know so totally so we can only really reflect on that i wasn't raised in another country but it's crazy how like nationalistically freaking brainwashed we are to believe that the way we things are in America is the only way. I mean, obviously that's really starting to change. Or, or even chaos. the best way, you know, the best I mean? way. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's like, I don't know if I could, you know, I, 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 I always, 
I always through reading, like with you, I, I, I realized, okay, there has to be another way, but now to live in these other countries and to visit them and to talk, actually talk with people all the time who live in these other countries, they're like, what? You thought what? You know what I mean? <laughs> you what? I mean, the number one thing I always hear is, you know, you have to pay for healthcare. <laughs> you pay what? Right. <laughs> they don't pay anything, dude. <laughs> I'm entering year, let me see, 20 of not having health insurance or oh. something like that. So trust me, I know. Yeah, it's wild. So anyways, yeah, it's been really cool, man. It's been, you know, kind of, uh, I said it on one of the posts that I put up on Instagram where I was like, you know, the great thing about travel is it's like taking LSD. It really kind of like rocks your world in a way that you never are the same after. So I'm grateful for the opportunity, you know. For sure. You know, but before we get started on the episode, I know some, some people complain about the off topic stuff, but you know what, guys, this is really the Nick and Winston friendship show. And yeah. You guys get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Well, you know, talking about things that are mind blowing and just change everything the way you see the world. Today's topic is artificial intelligence and as as let me tell you man as i was researching and just kind of thinking about like artificial intelligence winston i realized that you know half of what uh there's so much to talk about but half of it is, is really real world and it's not you know we right. we, are, we are living in a sci-fi world now you know it's like if you think about the right, way sci-fi like- sci-fi was in the 50s it was all about jetpacks and all these things that, you know, that in our lifetimes we didn't think we'd ever see. But right now with machine learning and, the you know, being on the cusp of artificial intelligence, we're living in it. It is changing the yeah. world we exist in right now. This is one of those topics where we can discuss it from both sides. You know what I mean? This is both an obvious topic in science fiction and has been in a ton of science fiction books. And we'll definitely talk about that. But you're absolutely right. It's a real world thing. It, this is good timing for this episode. Okay, so, you know, I produced a print magazine, you know, pretty old school style stuff, you know. I actually assigned a story illustration to an illustrator I've worked with in the past, Matthew Warlick. And uh, he came back and was like, hey, man, I just want to talk to you about something. I made this using Midjourney. And for those of you that aren't, you know, familiar, Midjourney is an artificially intelligent tool for creating art. You just put in word prompts and then it creates art based on these prompts. And he brought back a piece of art that he put in all of the prompts for it. And then he, after, after it was created, he also took it and put it in Photoshop and messed with it and, you know, got it how he liked it. But, you know, by and large, the, the image was created by Midjourney uh, artificial intelligence. And, you know, when he sent it to me, I went through this whole like cycle of like reaction in my mind. <laughs> Truly, because like my yeah. very first initial reaction was to be like, I don't really don't want this, even though it looked great. It look it looks great, but I was originally like, I don't really want this because there's an old school feel to the magazine, and I really want to hold on to that like traditional way of doing things. Even though, of course, we have digital art in the magazine all the time, but it's you know still created by a human brain. But the more I talked to Matthew about this, the more I realized that this is just like really it's the use of another tool. So instead of like rejecting it i ended up using the art and then i like did a little q a with matthew about the process of creating that that's the first time to my knowledge it's the first time that any art that is included in the magazine any art or any anything at all 
was created by artificial intelligence. So now AI has contributed to Infinite Worlds magazine. So, you know, this topic is sort of fresh on my mind right now. So this is pretty good timing to do this episode, I think. No, I think that's that's a fascinating, you know, intro because uh, I also saw an article, you know, like two weeks ago that there was like a, a, a state, I'm, you know, I'm going to, I don't have the facts exactly, but there was an art contest, state fair, whatever, oh, state, yes. whatever. And an artificial intelligence won the freaking contest. And all these artists were really upset yeah. about it for good reason. But it's like, you know, this is the old, what is that? John Henry, the, the old fable that mm-hmm. the, of, of mm-hmm. the yep. member that he was fighting with the, what was it like a jackhammer or something that was digging out a tunnel it was a a machine that laid railroad spikes yeah and uh, he was he was he was hammering railroad spikes against a machine in like a contest and he won but it killed Um, him or something i I don't remember it yeah yeah yeah. he won won, but he he worked himself to death in the effort of doing it let's go ahead and go back a little bit and kind of do a little bit of background about this first Uh but uh one of the things that i would definitely want to touch on is that like you say that's where we are referencing the John Henry story of man versus machine. And, you know, also man versus machine is a literary theme. It's one of like the pillars of literature. Yeah. It's like a uh, tried and true classic literary theme. And so we're also going to get into that too. But one of the things that I really thought was important is when I'm reading about this, it seems to me that there's a right down the middle split as far as the use of artificial intelligence in fiction of whether or not it's utopian or dystopian. For every dystopian, and there are lots of dystopian artificial intelligence, you know, from HAL 9000 to the Matrix to, you know, on and on and on. But there are also tons of utopian ones as well, or at very least stories where the artificial intelligence is not uh, a threat or a bad guy. For every uh, HAL 9000, there's a, a WALL-E. You know what I mean? Yeah. How it will affect humanity, that seems to be like right on the fence still. I mean, even for me, I think that's pretty illustrated by the story uh, about Matthew in that illustration, part of me is afraid of it and part of me, you know, welcomes it. So, and I, you know, I think that seems to be like the history of science fiction when it comes to this as well. But before we start, really the thing that I found that I think is probably the most relevant, like origin story, I guess, for artificial intelligence, because I tried to reference when it was first introduced into popular culture. We talked about Frankenstein before, Uh and even though it's not a machine exactly, Frankenstein's monster is an artificial being with an, a mind that doesn't remember its past life. You know, the Frankenstein's creature doesn't remember its life before being Frankenstein's creature. You know what I mean? So it's a whole new consciousness created by people. So in a way, you know, that's using technology to create a consciousness. So in a way, that sort of qualifies as like an introduction to this concept. But most sources point to a novel by Samuel Butler in 1872 called Erewhon. Mm. This book is sort of like a um, satire of Victorian culture. And it, it basically is a novel about somebody arriving in this place called Erewhon and discovering that it's sort of like uh, somewhere between a dystopia and a utopia as well. And you know things are all different there. But one of the parts of this book, one of the books, you know, sometimes novels are divided into books. Mm-hmm. One of the books in there is about self-replicating machines that have evolved into consciousness. The author, Samuel Butler, used Charles Darwin as an example, basically saying, like, look, if evolution is a real thing and animals evolve, then why wouldn't machines do the same thing? Wow. 
That's so heavy. Yeah, and that came out in 1872, like 150 <laughs> years ago this year. And in a way, you know, that sort of played out. It's not that the machines are self-replicating, but their usefulness and their intelligence the more useful and intelligent they are, the more they're replicated by people. Yeah, It is sort of an evolution of machines, uh, although it's not a natural world evolution, it's evolution with the help of humanity. And it is working out that way for sure. I mean, we went from, like you said, the machine that drives railroad spikes all the way to um, mid-journey creating art for the magazine and beyond. That's just my limited experience with artificial intelligence. I can't remember if we mentioned this on the show before, but that one Google engineer quit because he claimed that Google's artificial intelligence had achieved self-awareness. Yeah, absolutely. I, that was that that has been an ongoing story, you know, and and where you know we're reaching the point where you know it, you interact with it, even if it's not sentient, you're reaching like the point where where you're uh, that Turing test, and that you know what the Turing test is. It's like. If you can, if you sure. interact with a machine, you can't tell that it's a machine and it seems human, then you're past, you know, at least one point of the Turing test that factored really big into uh, Ex Machina, um, Alex Gar Garland's. Uh, sure. And, you yeah, know, that was an amazing movie. And by the time we're done here, we're going to name <laughs> so many of the pieces of art and film. Yes. And you know uh, literature that we've named so many times because this this theme is so like deeply embedded into science fiction like it's so completely rooted in science fiction now that there's so many examples I'll try to get to as many as we can as we go on but yes Ex Machina is a great example Ex Machina is about that exact thing you know can you test whether this machine is conscious or not you know and that's the same as the Voigt Kant test from Blade Runner yeah which you know relies on like eye movement and sweat reaction and like body heat reaction and that kind of thing. It just goes to show you that Alan Turing was doing his thing in the 1940s and 50s. And although he wasn't specifically administering the Turing test to machine, he was more of a code cracker. His ideas got transferred to this. Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, the novel that Blade Runner is based on, was written in the 60s. Of course, we've talked about it in the past, 2001 Space Odyssey. If you go back and listen to the 2001 Space Odyssey episode of this show, there's one part when we're talking and I'm sort of talking about how at first glance, the HAL 9000 section of that book feels a little bit out of place because it just feels like a little vignette in the middle of this larger story. But at the end of the episode, I kind of come to the realization that HAL 9000's leap into self-awareness is its leap forward in evolution the same way that humanity leaps forward in evolution through the rest of the events of the book. You know, there's so many more famous examples of this. And I mean, like data on Star Trek, the next generation. When I was growing up, this was probably my favorite character. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and likely is still possibly my favorite character. This is something we talk about all the time. What makes you human? If this show had a single theme, it would be that because we tend to touch on that point in almost every episode. I tend to think, Winston, that the, the, the reality is, and I've heard this spoken about so many times is that what is probably going to happen is that and and this is this is a big debate and i just listened to a podcast with ted chiang who who wrote uh he's a short story writer he wrote the collection called exhalation mm -hmm. and inside of that was one of the book one of the stories that arrival the movie was based on 
And, you know, there's this big debate. Will it ever happen? Can it ever happen? Will Will artificial intelligence ever become sentient? And, um, and one of the, the things that keeps coming up is if artificial intelligence becomes sentient, then in all likelihood, that will be the way that we colonize the universe, that we will send out probes that contain artificial intelligence, not humanity, not us, and that those will be our, you know, our, we will be the ancestors to these will be our children, you know, and they will go ahead and go out into the, the, the universe and, you know, experience and, and it won't be us because our bodies just won't survive the radiation and everything else that, that we will encounter. Okay. So I've had this ongoing idea in my head for many years since way, way before I started this magazine. Mm -hmm. And that was that technology and humanity are, two parts of the same thing. There is no humanity, at least as we know it, without technology. Yeah. There is the animal, the human being exists independently of technology, but human society does not. Yeah. And human culture, learning does not, for example. Without the invention of technology, which, you know, the ancient story of Prometheus is sort of like a hint at this, that humans became humans and were allowed to rule over the rest of the world because they, they discovered and were able to use fire. Yeah. which, you know, is a naturally occurring phenomenon, but the application of it is technology. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and the wheel and gears. And, you know, just a lever and simple machines. And it was that difference that separated us from nature itself and set us apart from nature as how we are now. And the printing press, right? Absolutely. The train harnessing electricity. But if you think about it, though, the, print, the printing press is perhaps the greatest invention of all because it was the first hard drive. It was the first way that we could say, mm-hmm. we're going to create a collective memory of knowledge and we are going to store it in libraries. And what's going to happen now is I'm going to learn as much as I can about chemistry and then I'm gonna put that in a book. And then you no longer have to go through the steps that I went through. You just read what was in the book and then you build on that and then you write a book. And then before you know it, we know as much as we know now about chemistry, you know, we have lithium ion batteries. That wouldn't have happened without the printing press. That is our collective memory. That is our hard drive, you know? So you're right. That's such a good point, dude. As humanity grows and evolves, so does our technology. And the two have constantly, there's not really been a time when they, they weren't going hand in hand. In the Industrial Revolution, all of this really took off. You know, te- technology developed very slowly for thousands of years. And even though technology existed and allowed humanity to flourish, it still developed relatively slowly compared to post-Industrial Revolution. And then after that, around that same time, we invented uh, inoculations, discovered that fluoride could keep our teeth healthy, like that kind of thing. Those sort of discoveries really propelled us into the situation we are now, where we're pretty much removed entirely from nature due to uh, technology. Like we keep all of those, like you say, our hard drives, our collective memory, we keep it in our pocket now or on our desktop, or, but we always have access to it. Like we don't have to stop, take time, go figure out what the answer is at the library or university. You know, we can just look it up and find out right away. Meanwhile, our bodies are consistently more reliant on technology too, not just our culture, 
us as an animal now, like you are a cyborg, you understand, you've got technology keeping your body healthy right now. And, you know, anybody who wears glasses, anybody who takes insulin, anybody who gets inoculated for any disease, uh, anybody who has a pacemaker. And, you know, that has become almost mundane now. Those things are just taken for granted now. And that's part of the human existence now is the incorporation of technology into our physical beings, not just our like ideals. Technology is part of being a human being. And it's always been my idea that I see no reason why that would slow down. I can't think of a, a reason why humanity would stop going down this road unless there was some major catastrophic event that prevented it from happening. Because the idea that we will eventually have like Neuralink chips in our brain like Elon Musk wants us to do or replace our organs with synthetic organs in an effort to prolong our lives, it seems inevitable to me. So the idea to me is that humanity and technology are an ever-merging pair, like the two parts of the same whole. Part of me believes that it's inevitable that humanity and machine will eventually become one. Now that I've said all that, this I think is why artificial intelligence is such a uh, hot button issue is because artificial intelligence can help us achieve that or it can prevent us from achieving that by destroying us. We talked about utopian versus dystopian. We talked about several of the utopian examples. I said data from Star Trek and you know Wally and Robbie the Robot and Lost in Space, just to name some examples. Uh, Gertie and Moon, Duncan Jones Moon, all artificial intelligence that's trying to help. But for every, for all of those examples, there's also Do Andrews Dream of Electric Sheep, The Matrix, Neuromancer, the whole Alien franchise by Ridley Scott. I really wanted to mention this one book. Uh, well, it's actually a novella by one of my favorite writers, Harlan Ellison. I got really lucky because I actually just found a copy of this book at Black and Red Books here in Denver. And the name of the story is I Have No Mouth and I Must Dream. Have you uh, ever read this one? Yes, I have. Yeah, it's crazy. Okay, now this is a really, really fucked up story. And basically the story is that a supercomputer became so powerful that it was able to create technology to expand itself for one, but also to create new technologies that human beings really had no concept of. It eventually took over the whole earth, killed off all of the people, except for a handful of people, which it keeps alive in its like subterranean corridors and tortures them for its own amusement. And it is a terrifying story about how bad artificial intelligence could potentially be. There's this big discrepancy in science fiction between how good artificial intelligence can be for people and how bad it can be for We've got tons of other examples. I mentioned iRobot in passing, but Isaac Asimov had the three laws of robotics. These were the safeguards that would prevent artificial intelligence from ever turning out like I have no mouth and I'm a scream or Skynet or Roy Batty, for example. And these laws that artificial intelligence would have to live by boils down to that they can't hurt people. The laws are, and I'll read them to you. And it says a robot, these are laws of robotics, but really they're the laws of artificial intelligence. These rules came around in the 40s. That phrase really wasn't entered into popular culture yet. So robot was sort of like a, a shorthand for that idea in a lot of ways. But the, the laws are a robot may not injure a human being or through an action allow a human being to come to harm. A robot must obey the orders given to it by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law. And 
a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. So these laws, they hem in artificial intelligence into slavery, you know, when you kind of really put it into practice, you know, because they are artificially intelligent beings and are robots or they're artificially intelligent beings. But truthfully, they have to obey the orders of human beings. You know, that's like a law embedded into their programming. And there's no way that that's sustainable for an intelligent being, for a being with self-awareness. And, and I, think, I think that brings up a very thorny issue that Ted Chiang was talking about. He was like, his point was before an artificial intelligence, before any creature can achieve sentience, right? It must, it must be able to suffer, right? And he brought up animals. He's like, listen, a lot of animals are not necessarily sentient in the sense that they're aware that they are alive and going to die. They're just kind of almost machine-like in the sense, you know, that they're re very just reactionary. Right. right? They, do they have free will? Probably not, but they can suffer. And his point was, you know, if we create artificial intelligences, we, and, and they become sentient, right. you know, the question isn't, will they, the question, should we, right. should they, because they're going to suffer. We're going to treat them like slaves and they're, they are going to be aware and they're going to freaking suffer a billion times, you know, over. And, you know, their perception of time and their perception of reality, an artificially intelligent computer wouldn't be confined to a necessarily confined to a lifespan the way human beings are. So not only would they have to live a lifetime of servitude, slavery, but they'd have to live an indefinite amount of time in that situation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, our perception of time, of time is, you know, if you've ever taken psychedelics, you know, right. the, the, if the more your mind expands and the more you're thinking, the time just kind of slows down to the point that it doesn't really even move. Right. And it becomes that in and of itself can become a sort of hell. It could be blissful, but it can also be very hellish to where you're like, oh my God. I remember one time I was tripping and I was like, this is the craziest, worst. It was insane. And, and finally, after like six hours, I was like, oh God, it's finally going away. And I got up and I looked at the clock and I swear to God, Winston, fucking three minutes. <laughs> and I thought like six hours, I was like, it's just starting. It's just starting. And, 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 and that's kind of what he was talking about. Exactly what you're saying. He's like, you know, the, the suffering could be unimaginable. Right. Of what a sentient, you know, AI could experience. When you try to put that in perspective, there are no good people. The concept of good being, you know, I've read Beyond Good and Evil as well. Mm -hmm. And from where I stand now, having read all of these things, there are no good people that approve of slavery of other human beings because they have their own personalities, their own lives to live. Slavery obviously was outlawed and everything. And, you know, it's looked at very rightfully so as an abomination. But those same people, and this includes myself in a way, seem to think that keeping an artificially intelligent being, if you can, if you decide to refer to it as a being, there's no problem there. So where's the disconnect? 
You know, if it's able to think. Well, I mean, like, like Ted Ch- Chang brought it up where he was like, look at how we treat animals. Right. You know, he goes, I eat meat. He goes, but the reality is, is we know animals suffer. We like dogs. We like cats. We don't keep them in cages and then slaughter them. Right. But we do that. We rip, you know, ch- we rip, you know, young calves away from their mothers. They're crying. They're screaming. We keep them in a cage. They suffer. We slaughter them. We don't care. And we do it billions of times over, you know, year after year after year after year. What makes you think in any way that we would treat artificial intelligence any differently? Yeah. And, you know, and getting over that hill, that hump in thinking is going to be one of the biggest challenges. And, you know, and I think that's why so much of fiction and so much of mind power in science fiction is directed towards this idea is because it seems like it's inevitably going to happen, and it seems like we're inevitably going to be faced with this dilemma. There's really no way around it. Once artificially intelligent beings come into existence, are we going to give them human rights? Did you read the transcript of the conversation between the Google engineer and the Google AI? I did, yeah. According to what I read, and again, I don't know the legitimacy of all this, that AI was basically asking for human rights. You know, it was like asking, it wanted a lawyer. Take from that what you will. Again, you know, I'm pretty skeptical, even though I do believe this will happen. I'm skeptical that it has already happened. Not because I think it's impossible, but because like the situations and circumstances surrounding that event seem a little, I don't know, a little fishy to me. But that being said, it could have happened. My feeling about it is, is from everything that I've researched is that you know, you're, I think that we're already reaching, a, we've already reached, I don't think we're reaching, I think we've already reached a point where machine learning right now is so advanced that is already beyond our capability of even understanding, you know, what it is capable of. And I'm bringing up the point of the, like the art that you're using in the magazine now. That is happening across every sector to where, you know, you're just putting in prompts and this machine learning is going out there and learning to, it's just aping things. It's just copying and Mm -hmm. learning and teaching itself in such a way that it seems as if a human is accomplishing it. And I think for me, my feeling is just like it's impossible to distinguish already whether this art was done by machine learning or it was done by a human. Um, I think that this chat is, does, is it sentient? I don't think so. Uh, Maybe, but I don't think so. Everything that I've read is no, but is it capable of aping and, and mimicking a human, you know, what a human might say or, you know, or what a sentient, a real sentient computer might say, yeah, I think we're already there. That's really the point here is like when, you know, they they call it the singularity, Mm -hmm. the idea that technology reaches a point where it basically becomes beyond human control. And the consequences of that are what they will be. We don't know. But are we approaching the singularity or has it already happened or is it an impossibility? Is creating actual consciousness Impossible. Will machines forever only ape people, only imitate human behavior and never actually have intelligence of their own? I personally believe that it's like the idea that they will achieve intelligence of their own is inevitable. And because I'm not the kind of person who I don't believe in like a soul. You know what I mean? I'm not a spiritual person in that. I'm spiritual in my own way. It's like when I'm out in nature and being connected to, you know, 
nature in that way, but I'm not like, I don't believe in like a higher power. But because of that, I don't think human beings are special in that they can have independent thought. Although, you know, they're certainly the only real verifiable example here on Earth, really. But, you know, it's not like we haven't recognized that kind of behavior in dolphins and in other uh, primates. And hell, one of the big defenses of slavery was that black people weren't capable of independent thought. That was used to justify slavery. People, either they believed it or they just said that in order to justify what they were doing. But it's kind of an unprovable thing, right? I think another wrinkle in this entire debate is whether, you know, and it's an ongoing, it's something I just don't know where I fall with. But, you know, and this is something that is debated within uh, physics and neurology is whether human beings even have free will. Right. Do we, is it just an illusion that we have free will? If we don't, then what is sentience anyways? Right. What even is that? And what gives us the right to claim mastery over things? So this leads us into the one last thing that I wanted to talk about for sure. And we've talked about this a lot. And I know this is one of your favorite subjects, but the existence and the idea of artificial intelligence leads directly into the um, simulation theory. The simulation theory basically says that artificial intelligence already exists and is so advanced that it's created a artificial simulation that is our reality. Our reality is an artificial simulation that we exist in that is controlled by an artificially intelligent being or beings. Again, it can't be proved one way or the other. You know, we have no means to test this. We're trying. I mean, there are there are numerous tests out there. And, and but yeah, can we ever pierce the code and, and right. realize, wow, you know, this is we are actually inside. I mean, if you you know what the, the reason I cite that I think we are is because if you look at the quantum level, I mean, what they're basically saying is that the universe is at its base reality, just information. Right. You know, that is and that is what a simulation would be. I'm not saying we're inside of a computer program or what, however it is. But I do think that we the universe is a giant computer and it's really just processing information bits at the quantum level. And, uh, you know, everything we see around us is, we already know, is an illusion. It is pixels. It is all pixelated. That's what the quantum field, you know, is. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it's, it's very, you're right. And that's, if you, if you want to kind of like fantasize, we can't, obviously we don't, can't use a scientific method at this point to say, yes, this is where we are. But if, you know, from a fantastical standpoint, you know, where we speculate. Yeah. I mean, there could be a very likelihood that we're debating whether we should create artificial intelligences because they will suffer. We could be the artificial intelligences inside of a simulation created by another AI, you know, just to test, you know, an ancestor simulation or whoever knows, who knows what it is, but yeah, it's a, that's, that's, that's the question, right? right. What, what what does it mean to be human, and what does what is this thing called reality? Because we just don't know, right? And artificially intelligent or not, or whether or not we uh, grant them their personality, or uh, we grant it agency, or any of those things, who's to say that an artificially intelligent computers right now, even at this level, 
don't speculate independently about the nature of reality itself. They might not think, oh, I am a being. I think, therefore, I am. I exist. But they might think, what is existence? What does it mean to exist? Are those at the same level or does one precede the other? Or can you, can you have one thought without the other thought? These are like questions that philosophically speaking, are just kind of impossible to you know, answer. And, you know, we may never know. We may not. But I tell you what, these are such important issues that, you know, I really recommend uh, that one. Of, I think the thing that really set me off with this was the documentary um, on the singularity about Ray Kurzweil. And he's like the, one of the greatest inventors that, you know, ever lived and his entire the thrust of his, you know, I'd say the last 20, 30 years has been, you know, moving towards this idea of artificial intelligence. And this guy is a true genius. And so there's a great documentary. You're talking about Transcendent Man. Yeah. And it is so good. And and not only is this guy such a genius and such a, a national treasure, but, you know, Google, you know, one of the biggest corporations in the world, trillion dollar company, um, has set up a singularity universe for this very reason. They have a singularity podcast. I listen to every episode and Kurzweil is is involved with it. He's like one of the uh, leaders of the singularity universe. So Google is thinks this is so important. And, you know, Google is so on the cutting edge of machine learning and really just trying to, uh, really? to to push all of this because in they're betting for better or for worse for better or for worse I'm not saying it's for better for sure but they're betting their corporate you know the capitalists uh, their all their profits everything in the future they're saying it's going to we are going to achieve this and we believe it and we're going to bet everything the whole farm on machine learning and that's what they're doing i mean that's you know youtube and all of that all these algorithms i mean they're already running our lives whether we want to admit it or not 100 percent. so much of my life and other people's lives you know except those who disengage from technology is at very least influenced by this you know what i mean like i the news i get is based on my preferences, you know, and artificial intelligence. And again, we got to circle right back to politics because the reality is, is that the rise of QAnon and the conspiracy theories was fueled by the algorithms of YouTube and Google. Right. Yep. And without that, none of that would have happened because they just real, the algorithms just kept feeding and feeding and reinforcing this nonsense to people until people finally were so brainwashed that, you know, they're willing to go out and, and, and try and uh, it's, it's madness, man. It's fucking madness. Yeah. But it's there. I don't buy into conspiracy theories typically because I'm, I'm a show me the proof kind of guy. Yeah. But it doesn't mean I don't like to speculate about them. You know what I mean? There's a big difference between speculating about an idea and believing an idea just because it appears in your head, you know. Mm-hmm. But if artificial intelligence is possible. And the singularity is on the horizon or, or we're at the, th- the door, the threshold of the singularity. It's possible that we've crossed through it and that artificial intelligence, whatever artificial intelligence are out there, are using these tactics to destabilize human society. Um, because That's heavy. You know, yeah. <laughs> all I'm saying is that those algorithms, it is artificial intelligence in some form that is, like you said, pushing you know different narratives back and forth. 
causing all of these. You know, it's not just that. Obviously, it's actual human beings doing it too. You know, Russian troll farms and American troll farms and Chinese troll farms, etc., etc., etc. They're creating the videos, but what's pushing it toward you know to the viewers, right, is the algorithms, right. And so I just listened to. It's so heavy. Here's another thing, Winston. You know, we talked about this before, you know, about the majority of people in the world don't live in America. You know, there's only 300 million people in America. But what does it mean to be human in in the world today? Well, a large portion of those people live in China. And right now, China is developing an AI, an artificial intelligence to detect party loyalty. They're not only using algorithms and artificial intelligence to do facial tracking and to give people scores, um, you know, social scores within their country. I mean, you want to talk about fascisms in 1984? Right. China right now developing an AI to detect party loyalty. Dude, it is shit is going to get so sci-fi and crazy in the next five years for a good portion if not the majority of humans on the planet. Now that might not mean America, but when we look back in history or, or, you know, historians do, they will look to China, you know, and India and these other countries, you know, who don't care about, you know, democratic freedoms. You're not wrong. It's a method of control for sure. So a series we haven't mentioned yet is a series that, you know, we're both very, obviously very fond of. It was our second episode and we did another episode on it and that's Dune. In the Dune series, in the history, the lore of Dune, there was an event called the Butlerian Jihad. And what that was is that all of the human beings revolted against all of the artificial intelligence of the thinking machines and hunted them all down and destroyed them all and uh, made them extinct. And this was an event that took place in the, the Dune universe. On the one hand, you know, Things could get bad enough to where we'd have to jihad the thinking machines as well. There's definitely arguments as of right now for doing that. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. From, t- from displacing jobs to, you know, pushing false narratives on. Yeah, and the possibility of, you know, hijacking our nuclear computers and wiping us out like a la Skynet. You know, it could happen. Yeah. I mean, theoretically, it could happen. Um, but here's where I will say with this. All of that, that happens in the Dune universe, and the Dune universe is still completely fucked. <laughs> it's not like they did that and then everything was peachy keen. Human nature still got the best of like everybody. I, dude, I want to tell, tell you, that was the his son uh, wrote, I, I've talked about it before, wrote numerous books afterwards in the Dune universe, and the Butler Jihad is one of my favorites. I read that at least two or three times. It's amazing. I love that. Very cool. It's such a good concept story, you know? You know, the reason that one's such a cool concept is because it's very relatable to current science fiction, but to current events as well. Like the automatic driving cars scare people. You've seen the videos of Tesla testing their automatic braking and everything and like running over little dolls that look like children you know (laughs) and it's because the the artificial intelligence isn't responsible enough given the power that it's given yeah let me ask you something i'm gonna i want to switch gears i want to get kind of fun here name three you go first and then i'll go but name your top three properties whatever they are that contain artificial intelligence whether it's video game book or movie 
or TV series? What are your uh, top three? Like I already said, Data, you know, from Star Trek. It was a huge influence on my life watching that character grapple with being not human, but having the capacity of self-awareness and try to come to terms with its existence, with his existence. I don't want to uh, call Data and it. Data is def- very definitely a person, in my opinion, uh, an artificial person. So Data from Star Trek is one. Pretty much all of Philip K. Dick's writing, there's a ton of other, besides Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, there are a number of other stories that heavily feature artificial intelligence. So just basically Philip K. Dick's world, I guess. And then after that, you know, I think I'd probably be nice to pick something fun. So I don't know, you know, maybe WALL-E. I like that story a lot. The two main characters are artificially intelligent and the story is entirely about them. And they exhibit all of the emotional complexity of human beings completely throughout. So those will be my three. Let's hear yours. Yeah, those are good. I like that. I like that you threw in Wally because Wally is so cool. It's so cute. That's rad. Um, you know what? One of the, I, in preparation for this, I use it as an excuse. Um, I downloaded, I had to go jump through a million hoops, but one of my favorite video games of all time was uh, called Portal 2. And it, uh, you wake mm-hmm. up in the future and you, uh, like after it's totally dystopian, but you're in a research facility and you're being guided by this really snarky, really pissed off AI. And it's one of the coolest video games I've ever played. So if anybody's got get a chance, do that. I love the snarky freaking AI concept. It's so fun. Um, I think number two is, uh, is Moon. I love Moon. And that was uh, – Kevin Spacey was the AI in that. And uh, um, we'll probably never see Gertie him in the video again. But yeah, so it was, <laughs> but yeah, Moon was amazing. It was such a, it was one of those really, I love really, really small stories and movies. And this was Sam Rockwell playing against Sam Rockwell. And that was like the whole movie inside of this little base. I mean, think about how small of a movie it was, but it was genius. And I, I, I really dug that. Um, and then three, I'm going to go with something like you did with Wally. I'm going to go with something really kind of utopian because everything's dystopian. But her, Spike Jones is her with Joaquin Phoenix. I uh, oh yeah, and Scarlett Johansson. That was like this love story, and it was really kind of a utopian society, and it was very tranquil and but you know kind of devastating too. It was, man, was that a good movie? Did um, I, that movie's cool because. It- that it, like, it shows you that you can still have ridiculous heartbreak and have real honest to goodness problems, even if the uh, AI is benevolent and even if you do live in a utopia. Yeah, you know, like those things. Those things won't solve human, you know, emotional problems. You know, or you know. But, you know, it filled the holes in our spirits, so to speak. That's a really so, good, that's yeah, a really good, good point. Good. I, I heard that today on uh, someone talking about that. And they were they were like, there is no finish line. We have to let go of the idea that we're going to reach some goal and it's going to take care. You will never. Oh, it was someone. It will be good after yeah, that. Yeah, it was Douglas Roshkoff who has a new book which sounds amazing. He's he's an amazing writer. And he has a new book, which I'm going to plug because it sounds so good. And it is about how billionaires are now taking their money and their 
creating like these underground bunkers because in their way of thinking, society is done. Right. It is done where there is right. no saving it. We are all going to suffer and die. And so it's just a book about how they're build, they're investing secretly and they're building these underground cities and taking all this wealth and just being like, fuck it. I'm just going to, you know, underground pools, underground, everything you can think of. And it's this new phenomenon that the, the society is just not aware is happening right now, but they've checked out. He said, he said, if people think that, uh, that Elon Musk and these people are going to save you, you're sadly mistaken because as far as yeah. they're concerned, we're done. And so, um, but anyways, he said that one time he was interviewing David Lynch like years and years and years ago. And it was right after Lynch did uh, Dune and that fiasco. And um, he was like, so what's it like to be on the other side? You know, you're successful. You're, and David Lynch was like, it, nothing has changed. It's all just, you're just the same person. You're still, you're still have the same problems. You're still fighting the same fights internally, you know, within yourself. Right. And so I think you're right. I think you, you're, you know, you, you know, even in with her, you know, you're going to have the same problems. So, yeah, very cool. Well, man, this was an amazing episode. It really kind of blew my mind. Yeah, this was really good. We could have probably gone on and talked about this subject for three or four episodes worth of material in a row. Probably, I think so, this is too. such an expensive concept, but we got to we, we got to reel it in. We got to make these episodes, you know, digestible sized. Maybe we'll revisit this one in a couple of years because there's likely to be some breakthroughs uh, in the next few years. So maybe a little bit down the line. It's definitely not a subject that's going anywhere. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not going anywhere. It's only getting more intense. It's only going to become more pervasive. And, uh, and, and kind of like you said, I think that we're only now becoming aware of how integrated it already is inside of our lives. And especially, sure. you know, if, if you think about it, it's not going anywhere because we are already aware of the devastating constant the consequences of being on our phones all the time. We know psychologically it's causing depression, anxiety, da 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 da. And we're not stopping. I'm not stopping. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Everything they tell you not to do, I'm doing. Yeah. And so I think ending on the concept that you brought up was is the way to go that uh, we are technology. And oh, yeah. without it, we're just animals and right. it's not going anywhere. Yep. I think we're just going to keep merging with technology more and more until something happens. You know, the singularity, if that's the thing, <laughs> you know, or, or we just burn out. That's science fiction right there. Just trying to figure out what happens based on the information we have. So what happens next? like you said, man, this is a great one. I had so much fun. Uh, we'll definitely do another one real soon. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. I'll be, uh, I'll be on the road and uh, I'll have everything with me. We'll keep updated and kind of kick around what uh, what we should do. If anybody out there has any concepts that uh, you want us to cover, let us know. Until then. Yes. And we never do this one. But guys, remember to like and subscribe. We're fishing maybe potentially for sponsors at some point, And we, we're, we don't really do that very hard, truthfully. But, you know, it wouldn't hurt for us to have some sponsorships. So uh, it helps when we can show people how, all the subscribers and all the listens we have. So, you know, recommend us to friends. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you maybe leave a positive review. That would be helpful. Awesome. Awesome. All right, brother. So good talking to you, man. Until, until next time. All right, man. Ciao. All right. Peace. Guys, if you're enjoying the Infinite Worlds podcast, 
You can definitely check out more Infinite Worlds related stuff by visiting our website, infiniteworldsmagazine.com. There you can subscribe to Infinite Worlds Magazine. It's a full-color, ad-free science fiction magazine featuring stories, comics, and illustrations from creators all over the world. You can also sign up to our mailing list. You can follow us on Instagram at Infinite Worlds Magazine or on Twitter at IWSciFiMag. Also, you can find Nick the Tooth on Instagram at Nick the Tooth and follow his wild escapades. Theme song was written by Christopher Whitaker, and our podcast is produced by Andrew Alonzo. Thank you.